It's the doctrine of eternal hell. That the wicked upon death, so if you don't follow Jesus, if you never make a decision to follow him, oh, God forbid that ever happen. Best thing I ever did in my life was make a decision to follow Jesus. Isn't that your, isn't that your life too? Yeah. I can look back at the day I made a decision to follow Jesus. I can't say that things have always been easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. But the wicked, so those who never make the decision I made and most or some of you have made, the wicked, those who never make a decision to follow Jesus upon death, will burn for their sins for eternity in the red-hot fires of hell. That's the doctrine of hell. And it is one of, if not the worst, false doctrines running around in Christianity today. And I want to start this Bible study right from the beginning by saying to you as clearly as I can that you can, you can take your Bible, I challenge you to do it. You can go from Genesis 1 through to Revelation chapter 22. Now, if you don't know the Bible, that's from the beginning to the end. And you will never find the doctrine of an eternal hell. It's not there. And it's blasphemy. And it's lies about the character of God. God will never take you, whether you love him or not, whether you ever make a decision to follow him or not. God will never take you upon death and put you maybe down into the bowels of the earth where an eternal fire burns to sizzle and burn and go through the agony of that for eternity. And fire hurts. Have you, have you ever been burned? What about this loving God? The people say, to, say it to me. How could he do that to me? Well, I remember when I was a, a small boy and my mum was ironing and somehow I bumped the ironing board and she had a brand new iron and I didn't want to have the iron fall on the floor and get wrecked and I grabbed at it and I got second degree burns across my, across my wrist and all up this left arm. And I can remember the pain and the agony. But you know what I remember most? I remember, and I was surprised because I thought mum would be mad because I dropped the iron. Do you think she was mad? She, I remember the look in her eyes of deep concern that her little boy, that looked a bit like Jackson actually, so Jackson, watch your diet, mate, or you'll end up like me. <laughs> that this little boy had burned himself, had to go to hospital and take treatment for the next couple of months. I could see the love and the concern in my mother's eyes, and yet somehow the Christian church says that this great God of love that got down off his throne and came and became a human and got nailed up on the cross for our sins, that this great God of love, if you don't take that sacrifice, will put you into the bowels of hell to burn forever. It's not consistent with the character of God, and it's not in the Bible. So first point today, you will not find an eternal hell in the Bible. It's not there. First, a bit of history. So how, how did this godless, Christless doctrine get into Christianity? Well, I went on a bit of a discovery. Do you know how? Do you know? Some do. Who knows how it got in? Who doesn't? Who's gone to sleep? 
Who knows how I got into Christianity? Who doesn't? Let's see your hand. I, yeah, I can't say I was familiar with it really until I got into this subject. It started with a guy called Plato, really, who took it out of the pagan false religion of Egypt. Um, the problem with hell, of course, is this idea that human beings have an eternal soul. So once you're born, you've got a soul that goes on forever, whether you're living on this earth or somewhere else. And that's what the Egyptians believed. And Plato, the Greek philosopher, got a hold of this belief. And then a little bit down the track, after Christianity had started, there was a, there was a man, and I've been practicing his name. He's a philosopher. I'm not going to get it right. A Christian philosopher. His name is Athenagoras. Athenagoras. Does that sound good? Athenagoras. He lived 133 to 190 AD. I don't know how it happened and why he did it. He was a Christian and he was a Christian leader. He had great influence in the early Christian church. Jesus had gone back to heaven. The Christian church was exploding all over the world just like it will before Jesus comes. And here's this guy, this leader, this Christian leader, Athenagoras, Goras, Joras, whatever. He, 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 he takes some of these ideas of Plato on the immortal soul, that when you're born you live forever. And he began to introduce it to Christianity. Problem is it's not in the Bible and I'll prove it in the moment. But he started to introduce this idea into Christianity that the soul, whether you followed Christ or not, was immortal. And it paved the way for the introduction of an eternal torment called hell. A little after... Athenagoras, there was a man by the, now I think you will have heard of him, this guy in AD 230, Tertullian of Carthage and he took the teaching of an immortal soul and he took it the next step now I don't know whether Athenagoras went here but Tertullian definitely did he took it to the next step and he said well look you'll be born and then your soul will go for eternity. There'll come a day when you die. And if you're not following God when you die, your soul will continue to live. Remember I said that your soul will continue to live, but then you'll go down into the eternal torments of a fiery hell. And can you believe it? The Christian church at the time started to take this doctrine on as truth. There's a problem with that. And I warn you today, when you're coming to Christ, when you're practicing your religion, when you're practicing your faith, and I talk even to Seventh-day Adventists this morning, you make sure your religion, your personal religion, you make sure your faith is rooted where? In the Bible and the Bible alone. As soon as you start to drift from the Bible, this sort of heresy will creep into your life as it crept into the church. By AD 430, Augustine, have you heard of him? Very famous early Christian scholar leader. By AD 430, he had incorporated with this eternal soul that never dies, he'd incorporated for the wicked an eternal hell. He'd brought that into the church and he'd brought in the idea of an eternal heaven after you die. There were people who resisted it. Why did they resist it? Because they were people of the Bible. I think of the Waldenses up there in northern Italy, those ancient people who were a people, they were actually for a fair while a Sabbath-keeping people, a people of the Word, 
And they resisted this idea of an eternal hell and an, and an eternal heaven after you die. They resisted it. They resisted it because it's not in the Bible. But the church took it on stronger and stronger. Until, and I'll tell you what. If someone tells you about God and you believe it, so you believe the story, yeah, maybe there is a God. And then they say to you, unless you serve this God, you're going to burn in the fires of hell. There's a fair bit of encouragement and motivation to try and follow God. Amen? And so these guys used to go out. This is how far Christianity went. And they, they were priests. They were pastors like me. I would never do this, but they did it. Some people still do it today. And they'd go out with little slips of paper that they'd called indulgences. And they'd go to the, this was the dark ages, the darkest time in the history of the world. Christianity across Europe, it was Christ, the, Christ, the so-called Christian church that plunged Europe into the darkest, dark ages. And they'd go out and they'd sell these indulgences, what they were, a piece of paper. And if you paid some money to the priest... Then he'd give you this piece of paper and it was a guarantee you wouldn't go to hell. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you think they sold these indulgences? St. Peter's in Rome, who's been there? One of the most, I've been there. One of the most, little story off the track, but I actually got tossed out of St. Peter's. And it wasn't, it wasn't for preaching and teaching the truth of hell. I got tossed out because I turned up in a pair of shorts. And you're not getting into that church in a pair of shorts. Those people, it's a holy place and you'll show respect and you'll go home, Lloyd, and you get in some long pants and what's more, you can put a tie on. But Well, he didn't say that, but St. Peter's was built on the fear of hell because it was built on the masses paying the priests the indulgences. The priests would then take a cut for themselves and send the rest back to Rome. And so you can see why Christianity, one of the reasons Christianity was on the nose as the world came out of the Dark Ages. And the Enlightenment and atheism and evolution and all these great theisms that are against God today have their root, their foundation and their motivation in this godless doctrine of hell. And it's done more damage to Christ, I believe, than any other godless doctrine in the world. People... Poor people in the villages of Europe giving their last, last cent so that they can get themselves out of the fear of hell. And the wild dancies living up there in northern Italy, they knew the truth. I'm about to show you the truth. They knew it. And can you imagine what it would have been like? And this is how they, I've been there. It's fantastic. If you ever go to Italy, forget the Amalfi Coast, forget Rome, go up into the valleys of the wild dancies of northern Italy. It'll inspire you. I went there. It was one of the great inspirational times of my life. You go up there and you see this little stone cottage. It just seemed barely big enough to eat a meal in with a dozen people. That's called the College of the Barbs. A dozen valleys up here in northern Italy. And their young people would come to this college and they would learn the Bible literally off by heart, and then they'd go down with the truth of what I'm about to share with you into the valleys of darkened Christianity and share this message that Jesus is in love with you and Jesus has not made a hell for you. 
He has not made fires of eternal torment. That's a concoction and invention of Satan himself. This infiltrated Christianity. Can you imagine when the people heard the life-saving news that Jesus loves them? No wonder Protestantism swept across Europe like a fire that couldn't be put out. And if there's ever a message that the people of the world need to hear today, it's not a message of a false hell. It's a message that Jesus loves them. And rather than putting them into eternal death, he came down and died so that they could have eternal life. Amen? Genesis 2 verse 7, this is what the Bible says. This is creation. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I love the KJV rendition of this. Let's read it again. This is creation. This is when God made man. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now there's two things that make up a human soul, and here they are. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There's the first one. And then what happened? And me- Oh, sorry. Let me start that again. I'm going to go right back to the beginning. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's the first one. And then he breathed into him the living breath of life. And he then became a living soul. Living soul. He became a soul. So a soul is the dust or your, what, what, what's the Bible talking about there? Your body, your body, the elements that make you up as a human being. Thank you, Wally. Your body. So you've got your body plus what else makes a soul? The breath of life. So I go down now, now I'll just take a few minutes on this. I want you to stay with me. This is important. So I go down the beach and I see someone who's drowned. God forbid we ever see that and that happens. But I see someone who's drowned and they're lying on the beach and they're dead. Are they a soul? Has their soul gone to heaven? Has their soul gone to hell? How do I know? Because I'm looking at least half their soul there. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? If they've got... Look, listen. We as a people need to listen to what the Bible's saying. The Bible says here that a soul is your body plus the breath of life. That breath of life is the miracle gift from God that he gives you so you live. Now God, right at the beginning, confronts this idea that the soul is eternal. Look at this, Genesis 3, 1-7. to Then the serpent, this is straight after creation. This is the fall of man, one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Then the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? See, God puts a a tree there and it's just a simple test. And he says, hey, if you believe me, if you have faith, don't eat of that tree. There's a billion other trees you can eat of all of them, but don't eat of that one. So Eve walks in the garden, guess what one she wants to eat of? The one she can't have. But there's another billion trees. Don't... Don't eat the tree, Eve. I don't eat the fruit of the tree. Don't eat the tree either. (laughs) This serpent turns up. She should have known something was going on because even back then snakes didn't talk. This is a deception. This is Satan. He's in the garden. He's trying to drag even the human race into his rebellion. Oh, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So Eve replies, don't ever 
negotiate with Satan. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we will not be allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will what? You will die. That's what God said. Eat the fruit, you'll die. Now listen to what Lucifer listened to Satan. Listen to what he says. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. It's a half-truth. She eats the fruit. She does know the difference between good and evil, so Satan's right then, there, but the moment she eats that fruit, eternal life flees from her body and death rushes in. She begins to die the moment she ate that fruit. The human race was plunged into this rebellion. God said, you sin, you will die. Satan said, you will not die. This idea that your soul is eternal falls into which camp? God's or Satan's? Depends what happens to you after you die. Now look at this. I always use these texts. The living, at least they know they'll die. But the dead know. The dead know. You won't be in heaven after you die and you won't be in hell because the Bible says the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in the lifetime, loving, hating, envying, it's all gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So verse 10 says, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, this is the Bible, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom, nothing. Matthew 18.8 is one of the texts that large parts of Christianity use to Prove an eternal hell. Let's look at it real quick. Matthew 18.8. So it's Jesus speaking. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, it's being figurative here, by the way, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into what? Eternal or everlasting fire with both your hands and feet. And people go, bingo, there you go, Jesus himself teaching an eternal hell. Well, no, he's not. One is using figurative language. How do I know? Because neither Christianity nor Jesus are into self-maiming. Amen? He's saying take sin seriously. Because if you don't, the consequences will be eternal. He's not offering an eternal hell that you will burn in eternally because we've already found out that when the soul dies, it what? It ceases to exist. We've already learned that today, that the soul which is your body and the breath of life God gives into you will die. We've already learned that when you die, you cease to exist. Are you with me? The Bible has to be consistent. We've already learned that. And it's through the scripture time after time. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, take sin seriously because the consequences, if you keep going down that road, are going to be eternal. You go, oh, I'm not convinced, Lloyd. I'm not sure about that at all. Well, have a look at Jude 1 verse 7 then. And I'll prove it. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you about Sodom and Gomorrah quickly. Sodom and Gomorrah 
were wicked places. Old Testament, two Old Testament cities. God destroyed them with fire and brimstone. If you go over today to where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be, all you get is salt. Plains, deserts of salt. They're not there. Look at this. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbouring towns which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. These cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Do you get it? Are Sodom and Gomorrah there? But they serve as an example of what? The eternal warning of God's judgment. In other words, look. Revelation. Chapter 20 tells us very clearly that when Jesus comes the last time, all the wicked, all the righteous will be alive. They will see the story of the great controversy between Jesus and Satan from beginning to end. Everyone will bow down to Christ on that day. This is a resurrection of everybody. You'll be there whether you you want to be or not. I'm going to preach on that in the next few weeks. The wicked will surge towards the city. Revelation 20 makes it clear. But the Bible says fire will come down from heaven. The wicked will be annihilated in a moment. You go, well, how could God do that? Well, he's not putting the wicked into an eternal fire. It's an instant Judgment. It's an instant punishment. One minute they're there, the next minute they're not. Oh, how could God do that? Well, it's one that's not eternal. And I want you to think about this. God's not willing that anyone should perish. He's got servants like me and some of you all around the world that are giving his call, his cry to follow him today. And it's not a cry, it's not a call because we're afraid of an eternal fire. It's a cry, it's a call to follow Jesus because he loves you. It's because it's what you're designed to do. It's where you're designed to be. I know from my own life you can never have peace. You can never be complete without Jesus. And Jesus came down. He loves you. I can't bring that home enough today as I I end this presentation. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. You know, I I was talking about drilling into the wall and and touching the drill bit myself. One day I'm out, I'm drilling into the wall. The drill bit's red hot. And little Hannah, she's three years old. She reaches across and she grabs it. What do you think my reaction was? It's the same as what my mother's was. I ran to her. I gathered her into my arms because I love her. Do you, do you understand this? Oh, I rushed her inside. I put her chubby little hand in a, in a glass of water because I know that that relieves it almost instantly. And she's crying and i got tears because I'm agonising with my daughter because I love her over her pain. Jesus looks at you. 
He looks at me. He sees the pain that sin is causing us. He sees the hurt as great chunks are taken out of us each week as we participate in sin in this world of sin. He sees our hurt. And he comes down and he says, come to me. I want to heal you. I want to make you whole. Give me your sins. You know those dirty, rotten sins, Lloyd, that no one else knows about. Give them to me. Give the guilt and the darkness and the pain of those sins to me. Give them to me, Lloyd, and I'm going to take them to the cross and I'm going to die the penalty for those sins so, Lloyd, you can live. God loves you. And nothing causes him more pain to see you in pain. And God's heart is in great pain as he sees the sin and the darkness and the hurt of this world. And it can't go on. The wars can't go on. The little children being molested in our culture and every culture of the planet. It can't go on. The murders, the violence... The violence against women. It can't go on. This reign of darkness that Satan has, has, has brought to our world has to stop. And that's why Jesus is looking at you today and he's looking at me. And he's saying, come to me. I plead with you. Jesus says, come to me and live. He says, I'm not willing that any of you should perish. Now, it's not eternal fire, but it is a fire. And the wicked will perish. But it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be you. Because you heard the story of Jesus today. And he's calling you. And he's calling you to life. I want to finish with this scripture. Because this is what's about to happen. I want to finish with this scripture because this is about, this is about what, this is what is about to happen. First Thessalonians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking to you, the church. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So we already know, you know, when you die, it's annihilation. It's, a deep sleep, you have no thought, you have no feeling. So what happens to the believers? Well, we already know that when the wicked are resurrected, they will perish. But they will see Jesus and they will see his justice. For those who love the Lord, for since we believe that Jesus died, that's you, and was raised to life again, we also believe. And if, if you can't believe this, ask the Lord to help you to believe. Often I've had to pray, Lord, help my unbelief. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So, so the Bible's saying here when Jesus returns, he's going to bring back with him those believers that died. What happens? We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Listen. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And then first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we, this is eternal life, then we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. Hallelujah. There is eternal life. There's not eternal hell. But there is eternal life when Jesus returns. 